Lord, as we come to you this evening, please lift us beyond the thoughts and the distractions that we bring with us. Turn our eyes towards Jesus. As we look at this psalm tonight, may we hear his voice speaking to us. Please lift our hearts to him that we might give him praise and worship. In his name we pray. Amen. I wonder if your mother used to say the same thing to you that mine used to say to me. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. And yet, I think we all know that the reality is that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can also hurt us. Stones and sticks break only skin, but words are ghosts that haunt us. Recent research shows that emotional pain can be as real as physical pain, that it can sometimes outweigh it. As I was preparing this sermon, the coroner was in the process of reviewing the case of a 19-year-old who'd committed suicide because of comments that had been posted on social media. It's too familiar, isn't it? Often physical pain improves over time. But those emotional hurts linger, they fester, they keep us awake at night. It's the place where we find David at the beginning of this psalm, wounded by the words of others and crying to God. And yet when we get to the end of the psalm, we're left in no doubt that his cries have been transformed into confident trust. Maybe tonight the start of that psalm reflects how you're feeling. Perhaps you're in a place where all you can do is cry to God, but the possibility of turning those cries into confident assurance seems remote. How did David achieve the transformation that we often long for, and yet it somehow remains tantalizingly outside our grasp. Is it still possible for us today? So please have your Bibles open at Psalm 4, and let's look at it and see if we can find out how David's cry becomes confident trust. David, I'm sure you noticed, begins this psalm with a passionate cry of sorrow. The psalm is what we call a lament. It's a personal plea to God. This isn't a polite, dear God, please help me. It comes from a time when David was feeling under threat. His cry is a desperate one. People are speaking against him. They're saying things that aren't true. If you were here last week, Richard gave us the background to Psalm 3. 
Actually, we don't know the circumstances that caused David to write this psalm. Some think that it came out of a time of drought. The king was meant to pray for rain, and the lack of it was his fault. Having been through the week that we've just had, I think we probably get a sense of how unfair it would be to blame one person for our lack of rain. And yet, we don't need to know the exact circumstances in which this psalm was written. In fact, not knowing makes it easier for us to apply it to different situations. And so, David begins the psalm by demanding an answer from God. Those words, answer me, remind me as an ex-teacher of standing with a pupil in front of you who flatly refuses to give you an answer for their misdemeanor. But there are also words that flow from a deep relationship with God, a relationship that's real and honest. David's response to his difficulties is to pray He tells God exactly how he feels. But there are words too that are rooted in a deep sense of who God is. David knows that God is righteous. In other words, he does what's right. He's faithful to his promises. And he knows that God is merciful. He treats us in ways that are completely undeserved. David cries, yes, from a place of deep anguish, but he knows God's character. And because of that, he prays with a sense of expectation that God will answer him. And so he cries to God for relief. In literal terms, those words are saying, Give me room. It's a bit like that feeling we get if you're standing on a crowded underground train and everyone's pressing in around you. That same feeling that sometimes we get when our problems just crowd in and there seems to be no escape. Verse 2 tells us that David is under pressure from people. But these men that are referred to in that verse aren't just anybody. The translation we've got here isn't very clear, but there's little doubt that they are men of influence. And they're turning David's kingly reputation into shame. We sense David's anguish in the repetition of the words, how long? How long are these men going to continue speaking against him? In other words, David, God's anointed king, is being humiliated. And yet, in the midst of his difficulties, we see David's confidence in God. In verse 3, He reminds his enemies that God is faithful to his covenant relationship with his people. And as he does that, 
he begins to answer his own questions. He realises that he is set apart by God. He's loved by him. I wonder if, as it was read, you noticed that marked contrast between verse 3 and verse 1. In verse 1, David's crying out to God to hear him. In verse 3, he knows that God will answer his prayer, even though at this stage he can't actually see any instant answers. And that deep foundation of confidence leads him to speak to his enemies, to exhort them to trust in God. They're angry, or in literal terms, this verse is saying they're trembling with anger. David says to them, be quiet, keep your thoughts to yourself. Perhaps he's asking them to reflect on the goodness of God, maybe to examine their conscience. In either case, he's urging them to trust in God, to focus not simply on offering sacrifices, but to offer them in the right spirit. God is never interested in us going through the motions. He wants our complete and humble trust. And the final three verses of the psalm reflect David's total confidence in God. Many others might be questioning what God is doing. But David knows that true joy comes from God alone. And so he prays using the words that reflect the blessing of Aaron in number six. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. He knows that when we seek God, he turns towards us with love. A bit like a father smiles down at his child. And those who see God's face rest in his presence. And as David delights in God, so he's able to praise him in spite of his problems. He finds a joy that fills him, a joy that comes from God within. And in verse 8, we see the result of David's trust in his righteous, merciful God. Even in the midst of his troubles, he can lie down and sleep in peace. Probably something that often eludes us. His opponents, he pictures lying awake at night. But David rests in God. And there's no indication that his troubles have been taken away. But God gives him peace in them. There's no hint that David is looking anywhere else other than to God. He alone is the answer. He meets David's deepest need. And David trusts him totally. Perhaps, though, we read this psalm and we think, it's okay for David. 
He was God's anointed king. The one who'd seen God's faithfulness firsthand. I mean, he killed Goliath with a single slingshot. God protected him against the rages of King Saul who wanted to kill him. God made amazing promises to him. It's different for me. And yes, it is different for us. It's different because God has given us an even greater reason to trust him than David had. We read this psalm tonight knowing that God has sent a saviour, a king that David could only look forward to. And so we see the spirit of Christ at work inspiring David's words because this psalm doesn't just speak the words of David. As we've been seeing in our series, it speaks the words of Christ our King and it gives us a reason for confidence in God that extends far beyond anything that David knew. The cross of Christ becomes a hinge that changes the way we read this psalm. And as we look at it in a new light, we'll notice that when it refers to Christ, Christ's cry is completely confident. This evening, as we read verse 1 again, those words, answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God, are words that only Jesus has the right to pray and demand an answer. Not David, not us. As we come to God tonight, we can only pray in Jesus' name and rely on his righteousness as we approach a holy God. Jesus is the one who was able to stand at the tomb of Lazarus and say, Father, I know that you always hear me. And as we read verse 2, it takes us straight to the rejection of Jesus by men to his death on the cross, scorned and mocked by those around him. We can hear the passers-by shouting, save yourself, come down from the cross if you're the son of God. We hear the chief priests and elders mocking words. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Jesus is the one who knows what it is to be scorned by those around, to be the victim of lies, to have others bear false witness, to be betrayed even by your closest friend. But Jesus is also the only one who can claim to be glorious. David's words in verse 2 are truly the words of Jesus. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? 
John tells us at the start of his gospel that he saw Jesus' glory. Yet men nailed Jesus to a cross of shame. If you're someone tonight who's feeling hurt and misunderstood, turn your eyes to Jesus, the Prince of Glory, hanging on a cross. I know when I've been in that position, what's really helped me is just to come back to the cross and to realize that we have a Savior who understands. A Savior who can cry to God with total confidence because he alone is the set-apart servant of God, the only one who was faithful to God in every respect. And so he is the one whose prayer God will always hear. And if we're his followers, we can rest confidently in the assurance that our risen, ascended Lord sits in heaven at the right hand of God, where he intercedes for you and for me. And it's only in him that the words of verse 3 can become true of us too. We've already acknowledged tonight that we can't claim to be godly and set apart. We all struggle with thoughts that creep in that we'd rather not voice to others, words that slip out of our mouths and we wish we'd never said them. But if we turn to Christ and accept that he took the punishment for our sin, then we can be declared righteous in God's sight and we can know with confidence that God hears our prayers. Through Christ, we have access to the Father. And as we pray this psalm tonight, we pray the words of Jesus our King. And in him, our cry can become confident trust in Christ. And so as we read verses 5 to 8 of the psalm tonight... Let's read those words as Jesus speaking directly to us, praying for us, teaching us how to pray. We may find the hurtful words of others niggling in our mind. We may be angry because we know we've been misunderstood, treated unjustly. In those situations, we hear Jesus in verses 4 and 5 speaking to us. In your anger, do not sin. Of course, there are times when it's right to be angry. But Jesus exhorts us not to let that anger turn as it so easily does into those brooding, festering feelings that keep us awake at night. I can still remember a time when my boss treated me unfairly. She said words which were undeserved. And I must admit, my overriding feeling was one of anger. 
And I didn't lash out with angry words. But that doesn't mean that that niggling sense of hurt didn't take over my thoughts. It distracted me from God. It kept me awake at night. I found it hard to let go of. For me, it was standing in this church saying the words of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us that brought me face to face with my need for prayer. Jesus calls us to be silent. Not so we can mull over our hurts and hang on to them, but so we can reflect on him and examine ourselves. And it is only as we turn to Jesus and we realise just how much we have been forgiven that it is possible to let go of hurts and replace anger with forgiveness. As a man, Jesus' trust in God was total. In verse 5, he speaks to us. And the only right sacrifice we can give is to hand ourselves to him in trust. If that's something you've never done, then listen tonight to Jesus saying, turn to me. Because apart from him, none of us can stand before a holy God. And if we are a Christian, then it's only trusting in Jesus that enables us to say with Paul, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. We all live in a world where life isn't easy. But we can pray the final verses of this psalm knowing that Jesus prays the words on our behalf. We can pray them with him. We can know that in him they are truly fulfilled. And so we can pray for the light of God's face to shine upon us because of all that Jesus has done for us. It's as we lift our hearts to Jesus that we can know a deep inner joy, even in the midst of our problems. The world offers us passing joys, that delicious restaurant meal that melts in our mouths, but which leaves us with indigestion and a hole in our bank balance. The latest shiny iPhone, like the one my son bought that worked perfectly for a month and then packed up. Jesus calls us to delight in him. And he will give us a lasting joy that fills our hearts. In the same way, we can know a deep sense of peace even when those around us wound us by their words. The Spirit of Christ gives us a peace beyond anything the world gives. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's only as we see Jesus in this psalm that it begins to make sense. Otherwise, we'll continue to ask the question that we began with. How can I move from desperately crying to God to total confidence in him, yet alone in the space of praying eight verses of a psalm? Our confidence isn't based on trying to frantically conjure up what we think we ought to feel. It's rooted in the voice of Jesus, our King, who sings to us tonight through the words of this psalm. No, the psalm doesn't promise us that God will remove difficult circumstances or stop us from being the victim of hurtful words or injustice or lies. But as we pray this psalm tonight, we can have a confidence. A confidence that rests not on circumstances, not on other people, but on Jesus and our trust in him. A trust that gives us total security. Like David When we're in difficulty, let's cry to God with honesty. But let's remember that we do so in the knowledge that we have a saviour who understands, who prays alongside us, who intercedes on our behalf. We pray knowing that although the present may not be easy, we will one day share Christ's glory. Let's come to Jesus tonight in trust, praising him for the confident assurance that he alone can give us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight that you were that faithful set-apart servant, that you were the one who willingly went to the cross for us. We thank you that tonight you are seated at the right hand of the Father where you intercede for us. And we pray that as we go out into this week, you will help us to delight in you, to praise and worship you for all that you have done for us and to come to you in trust. In your name we pray. Amen.